0: Welcome back to Mob Talk with Talia Little. Today, so before we start, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners on the land in which I'm recording on. And I'm lucky enough to be sitting on Bunurong Country today. And we've got the lovely Latifa T uh, on the Zoom today. So, welcome, Latifa. Thank you, Talia, for having me. No worries. And just if you could let the Mob Talk users know, where you are standing on today. Of course. So today I'm coming to you from the lands of the Darug and Eora nations. I like to extend my respect to the custodians of this land and also the custodians of um, the lands of the Gadigal people, which is where I work and spend a lot of my time. You know, I think it's so nice that these days everyone's starting to actually acknowledge the traditional owners and people are starting Mm -hmm. to learn about whose country they're on. And like, I guess, like, I know you work for triple J and they Mm -hmm. often, whenever I see them post on Instagram, they are always posting like um, the Aboriginal name or the traditional, traditional names. And it's so refreshing to see as a young person. Yeah, it's really beautiful. And I mean, even as someone that does identify as first nations, like me just making it a habit to learn. Yeah. Like the country that my friends are living on and the country that, the creatives I love are living on. Like, I think it's just a really good kind of default to be going to. And it's really, yeah, special to see like institutions like Triple J and other really big creative outlets really setting that precedent and, you know, sticking by it. I think it's really special for us to see. Absolutely. And like music is such a big part of everyone's life. So if we can, and social media, of course, but if yeah. we start making little changes like that, it kind of puts it in people's faces to be like, hey, like, This is the this is the new shit. Like this is what we got to be on. Yeah, exactly. And uh, like, it sets the foundation, I think, for when we are ready to have those tougher conversations about, you know, sovereignty and self-determination and even like the recent conversations around invasion day, like once you've made the subtle changes in your language and in your acknowledgments, like in your circles, it's really hard to then be inconsistent and to celebrate something like invasion day. So I think it is, yeah, those really subtle linguistic changes that can be incredibly powerful for people yeah and um, like with Invasion Day coming around just around the corner literally mm. next week yeah how does that feel for you as someone on a social media platform with a bit of a following like do you feel comfortable speaking about that Yeah. So a couple um, of days ago, I, I saw an amazing activist who I think a a couple of times on the podcast, you've mentioned Paul Gurry or DJ PGZ. Yeah. Oh, I love Paul. Yeah. And I believe it's Paul's sister or very close relative, Mm -hmm. Nayaka I believe is her name. And she posted it like just a really poignant, but short tweet about the fact that like, it's so inappropriate to celebrate our country as is, whether it's on January 26th or any other day when you know we are still living and experiencing the effects of colonialism in such a significant way, and I reposted that on my Instagram story the other day. And just yeah, just uh, I do fortunately feel comfortable about speaking on it, but it's just still so wild to me that we have to remind people not to celebrate genocide, especially when you know genocide is continuing amongst our mob and Aboriginal children are being stolen at a higher rate now than during you know the so-called s- stolen generations like that. Period Period. It's just, it's really painful to see that these issues are still ongoing, but people just still aren't getting it. We shouldn't have to be having this conversation. You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And how do you feel like you can, do you feel like there's a way that you manage your well being when you see people posting about, you know, Australia Day? I know for myself that it's like this weird thing where it doesn't click in my head for me when I see people posting, you know, videos and photos of them holding the Australian flag. I'm like, what are you celebrating? Like actually, what are you celebrating this country that is like built on stolen lands and literally genocide? Like you're actually celebrating mass murders. Like how do you kind of, um, during this time of the year, mm-hmm. look after yourselves in terms of well Um, If I see a flag draped around someone's shoulders or someone like, you know, necking a cruiser on such a solemn, like painful day, I- I'll just unfollow, it. do you know what I mean? I'm like, it's literally 2022. And if someone is foolish enough to really want to have a barbecue in their backyard, like at least keep it off the stories. Um, do you know what I mean? It's just like so silly to be out here and like outwardly celebrating something which is so wild to me. So I guess, yeah, how I, how I look after my mental is just to disengage from people who just really don't get it on a super simple fundamental level. Um, And also, yeah, just to spend time with my friends who are amazing allies and who are as politically engaged as me, you know, having those conversations with people that, you know, might not have that lived experience, but can really appreciate and support me during those times. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, working for a place like Triple J who actually changed their date of the Hot 100, that must help, you know, with your political views and whatnot to, succ- to kind of, like, support you and feel, I guess, welcomed in a workplace? A 100%. a 100%. Like... I'm working at a place where there is more first nations representation than ever before. You've got Dave Woodhead, the lunch host, who's, you know, Aboriginal, you've got nookie on blackout, you know, triple J's first first nations dedicated program, Ash McGregor, who's the producer of breakfast who often does shows as well is mob. Like there's just so many incredible people, Tyrone Hainor, who's recently just started a show dedicated to R&B soul called soul control. So like even in the office, the representation is amazing. And, the tone of the conversations is incredibly respectful and serious. And it's nice to know that, you know, like using place names and whatnot, like obviously that looks great, but behind the scenes that they're also really investing in First Nations talent and creativity and letting us lead those conversations in creative spaces. Like it's just, yeah, it gives me goosebumps to think about it. And the other funny thing is like people who are like, oh, bring back old Triple J. And I'm like, so you just want like all white presenters? Is that what you're saying? (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Yeah, it's just so old. (laughs) Like you need to get with the program. Literally, like, exactly. yeah, with all the new programs. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I saw you did, I think, an interview with Acclaim. And on mm-hmm. a, on the interview, you said, you know, um, dance music has forever been innovated and led by BIPOC artists and DJs, mm-hmm. and I'm determined to use the mix-up platform to reflect this. So, firstly, congratulations on oh. scoring that role after Andy Garvey. Like, she's so amazing and so are you. So you know, how are you finding this new role? And Mm -hmm. in terms of being determined to, I guess, reflect the accurate amount of diversity and inclusivity, Like, how are you finding that? Yeah. Well, for, first, thank you so much. Also, thanks for reading that article. um It was like, oh, it's amazing. Oh, thank you. It was like nerve wracking to to put it together and to announce it in the right way. Cause I'd known at that point for like a couple months that I'd been in the job and was doing training. And I was like, ah, oh, I want to make Oh my sure. gosh. That would have been the hardest thing to just keep oh, low. <laughs> it was so hard. Like, for a little while, I couldn't even tell like my best friend. And she's like, why are you being all secretive? And I was like, I can't tell you right now. Um, but no, it, it's a really, 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 like it's truly a privilege to be in this job. And like I said, in that interview, like dance music, music generally has been forever innovated by black artists, by first nations artists, by queer artists, you know, and I think for a platform like mix up, which for people who are not familiar with mix up is a show every Saturday night on triple J that has four DJ mixes. They're an hour long each. And my job essentially is to present and introduce the DJs, but also to program and select who comes on the show. So that's what mix-ups all about. It's really not about me, but rather about showing like showcasing all the amazing talent in the scene. And to me, it only makes sense that I actually reflect the scene accurately. Do you know what I mean? It's almost hard for me to to each week, either program someone who is non-male or is femme identifying or to not program someone who is a person of color. Like it's actually more difficult for me to try and look for just all white lineups. And so my, Oh, oh my gosh. It's like, who, who is like, I feel you, now Like whenever I go through my playlist, I yeah. actually realize it's <laughs> nearly all black or like, you know, just it, there's a lot of diversity on there and whatnot. And it's actually probably the lowest amount of people would be, you know, just, I guess, what people of, that aren't of color. Yeah, literally. Like it's actually hard to ignore the BIPOC talent coming through in our country right now. Like it's so wild. And so... Yeah. In that respect, it's really easy, but also like I'm not for complacency and it's just as important for me to walk the walk as much as I talk the talk. So like for me, what that also looks like is just like diversity targets is to make sure when I'm programming and I look at all my artists across like the month, each month I'm making sure that I've got a certain amount of clear representation and a certain amount of like mold that are represented every year in programming and things like that. And Andy did a really good job of keeping tabs on those things. And it's, it might sound a bit like, uh, numbers based, but it's like, if you can't back yourself up with that sort of data to, to, prove to yourself even that you care about diversity then it's easy for that stuff to kind of fall into your blind spot if you're not consciously centering diversity absolutely it kind of turns into a thing that's of habit like you're constantly looking for these like new people and showcasing people and having that diverse range of representation throughout every community that needs to be mm-hmm. played and especially on triple j like so many people listen to that so many people listen to that station and, you know, go on the YouTube's and watch the videos and being a young person and wanting to do music or be a DJ, if you can see it, you can be it. And those sort of spaces are so important for people of every community to be able to mm-hmm. share. Literally, literally like my first show, I remember, so I was doing the programming for my first mix up show and I got four incredible mixes, um, for that show, um, I had Mokta on, I had Rakish, Anurag, and Barry can't. No. I can't remember the fourth DJ off the top of my head, but they're all amazing. They were all POC We're so proud of it. And Mokta, um, again, for people who aren't familiar is um, an amazing DJ and producer who I believe grew up in Euro Sydney, but is now based out in Nam. Um, but he like really reps his Egyptian heritage super proudly in the music that he creates. And so when he sent me his mix, his mix literally starts off with like the biggest kind of Middle Eastern and Egyptian drums on the air and Mokta for me that night was like my favorite artist and I was like am I really gonna start out my first ever show on Triple J with these big like Arabic melodies and drums and I was like you know what heck yeah yeah (laughs) yeah, you know like let's set the tone and like even for me growing up in Roselands, which is super close to Lakemba here um in southwest Sydney like it's just a melting pot for Middle Eastern culture and I was like this kind of music reminds me of what I was growing up around and it was just really special. special to set the tone there. So yeah, it's just like such an amazing platform and job to have. And I really do take that seriously. And I think that's also why from the outset I've prioritized diversity quite publicly so that, you know, I can be held to account. I think if you're not outwardly demonstrating that commitment to diversity, then people can't call you out on it and you're not welcoming that conversation. So I'm like, absolutely call me out, put me on to people. I always want to be better in like reflecting um, what's going on in music. So yeah. Absolutely and music has the power like even DJing it's something so I don't want to say something so simple but you know like I go to events every week or festivals and whatnot mm-hmm. and to have people you know you almost tell a story through the set that you play or like yeah. you have the power to you know if you're mm-hmm. aboriginal or or any if you're any kind of person really if you were to play like Let's just go with the First Nations. If you're a First Nations and you're playing Aboriginal music mixed in with techno, that gives people a different sense of like how we show and celebrate our culture and that just Mm -hmm. leaves room for other people to celebrate it too. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's so beautiful. Like for me, one of the most inspiring things that I watched last year was a boiler room at like a queer-centred, like queer, trans, Indigenous POC-centred event in um, Auckland, Aotearoa called Filth. I don't know if you've heard of it. Have you heard of Phil? No, I haven't. Oh my God, Talia, I'm sending you a YouTube video after this. What is it? It, It's it's a boiler room. Yeah, so they did a boiler room set, but it's a regular event that they host in Auckland. And they've got mainly like femme Pacifica trans DJs on the lineup. And on my dad's side, I'm Samoan. And so to see like, you know, this killer Pacifica island woman playing like island music and doing like traditional dances from my culture, in a club space was like blowing my mind. It's wild. You have to send that to me. I will, I will. The boiler in that really blew my mind. Her name's Lady Shaka. Um, I had the privilege of having her on mix-up last year. But just the way that she, like you said, like it infuses club music into like traditional cultural music. Like you feel like the space transforms into this new space of celebration and expression. Because you're like, I, I hear myself, I see myself in the crowd, in the music, in the like the Energy of the room—it's so special, and she's just like fire. Anyway, like the songs that she plays are so sick. But just those little moments that she like weaves into her DJ sets, where she like nods to the culture and like the people in the room that resonate so strongly with that. Like, oh my god, it's amazing. I'll send it to you as soon as we get off <laughs> off the call. Please do. I know that they were doing a before I got cancelled in Nam. They were doing a Boiler Room um, yes, recently, and so it was think, yes, and Paul yeah. was playing. I think Damila was was meant to play too yeah Yeah. it was going to be so sick but then obviously COVID just cancelling another music event I know I've heard that that's being postponed and I'm yeah I think that's going to be a really special historic moment you know like oh absolutely yeah talking about music and COVID you know I've seen you recently post some stuff about how the scene is just completely suffering and I see Andy Mm -hmm. Carvey and Nina Las Vegas posting about all the time about how the industry isn't coping and like we're singing a dancing band what even what even (laughs) is that like what even is that how do you how have you seen the industry I guess go through COVID and then come out now with all of this turbulence? Yeah, that's a, a really great question and a, a question that would probably take me the two years that it's been since normal C <laughs> to answer. Um, my friend Squee or Stacey um, in an article that we both contributed to on Life Without Andy said something along the lines of like we're living in a footloose state and I don't know if you have seen the movie Footloose but it's literally yes. like, yeah, this guy goes into the town and there's like this ban on dancing and music and you're like what the heck? Like it's wild the times that we are living in. And the sad thing is I think we can look to other countries who are doing it a little bit better in terms of supporting the arts and see what they're doing. And then it's such a stark contrast to here where like only I think today, um, the the 18th of Jan when we're recording this, um, was there an announcement that the government are putting together money for like event organizers when their events are canceled, like festivals and things like that. And I'm like, still, that's just not enough, you know? So I think for me, the big part that really confuses me and gets me really angry is just the uncertainty through all of this. You know, it's just devastating to see my friends lose jobs and to invest all this energy into creating safe spaces and celebratory events all for it to just fall through at the 11th hour. Um, Oh, absolutely. And like, it's so bizarre because you'd think that something that is so healing music and just, you know, the environment and our nature in general for everyone is so healing. It's always at the bottom of the pile priorities which Fully. is just it's so bizarre because everyone uses music and you know getting out to nature and stuff as a healing prospect even like mm-hmm. even those people in you know high up in parliament i bet you after their big long day they go home pour <laughs> some really expensive scotch and <laughs> like, i bet you that's what they're doing oh my god 100 percent! like music is catharsis it's community it's calming it takes you to places far far away from like the anxiety of whatever you're experiencing in your real life. And not only that, like the arts is a billion dollar industry. And I remember when I was first, um, like when we first had restrictions and like all my friends were losing their jobs, like I just out of curiosity looked at like the amount of money that the arts brings into our country in terms of like gross domestic capital versus the sporting industry. And it's very, very close. I think it's like the arts brings in $15 billion and sports brings in like 16, $17 billion, which sure like really, yeah two billion is like a little bit of money but like the arts is a billion dollar industry and for you know these people who talk about money and like obviously want our economy to be doing strong it's just like confusing that we've been left to the wayside <laughs> like what do you that mean? is so much money and that is nothing like that in the comparison of like sport and music that is yeah. that's like that's the same it is. It is. And like, yet sporting matches are allowed to go ahead and cricket matches and things like that. And I also just want to emphasize while we're on this topic that, like, for me, the priority has to remain with like people that are immunocompromised and disabled folk right now. Like, I'm yeah. more than willing to sacrifice events and live music if it means that we can protect those populations. But obviously, like, with everything that went down last week with Hillsong and like the double standards between. What was her- that? I'm so confused. Um, I was like, Oh my god <laughs> i your you about it but i was confused so is it scott morrison allowed so singing dancing band but hill songs allowed to go on yeah so essentially what happened is like in new south wales um there have been a bunch of snap restrictions that have come into place banning singing and dancing and at first it was just indoors which meant that like a bunch of different outdoor music festivals could still go ahead like for example grapevine gathering which i yep. believe is still going ahead in victoria But um, they in New South Wales were told like, yep, it's fine. It's outdoors. It's in the Yarra Valley. Like it's all cool COVID compliant. They were working with the government tirelessly tirelessly to like make sure it was safe. And they were halfway through bumping in the stage and everything. And all of a sudden the government was like, "Mm, no. Nope. Are you serious? Uh, Yeah. And what's bizarre to me then is what happened was a couple of days later, um, Hillsong threw like essentially they, they refused to admit it was a music festival. If you look at the videos, they're dancing to DJ snake turned down for what? so obviously obviously that's not jesus music um but yeah they came together and they had a bunch of live music and djs and dancing and they posted about it all over their instagram so us as the music industry in new south wales are like babes what's going on like, excuse me? And apparently what happened is they had enough rapid tests for like everyone and their dog to get it. So at least they were being somewhat COVID safe about it. But it's like when one festival has just been shut down, meaning like about $5 million lost to the local economy and thousands of jobs lost versus Hillsong being allowed to go ahead. It's just like we are banging our heads against a wall for some sort of consistency. What is going on? Why do you think that was allowed to go ahead? Do you think it's religious purpose? or do you think it's just like the views of the people in charge like what is your view I'm not going to say too much because I don't want to get in trouble but I just I think what it really comes down to what stings is just a lack of any consultation with the music industry because yep. the thing is like so it's leaving you guys out to be people who are at the front like at the front foot of helping with these decisions yeah, absolutely. And it's like we can work together on creative solutions that keep our events and our patrons relatively safe. The fact that like Hillsong were able to source so many rapid tests, like why couldn't we at our music festivals, at our club nights, have the same access to those rapid tests to protect our patrons and stuff? Like I i am not necessarily against events and things going ahead so long as they are as COVID safe as possible. And again, respectful of our immunocompromised and disabled communities communities, but like... We've I guess just been just left out of the forward, isn't it? Yeah, we've just been left out of the conversation. I'm like, babe, just talk to me. Like, come on. not to calls. me. Like- <laughs> <laughs> literally, it's just, yeah, that's what stings. And like, there are some really smart people in the industry who have been working in events and everything through these last two years. And it's like, if you just asked, we'd be able to come up with something more creative. I mean, literally, even just among my friends in the DMs, we're coming up with more creative solutions that like balances all the factors that play right right now that don't eventuate in like no singing, no dancing. Like, are you kidding? That is the dumbest thing. That is actually, that that like phrase, no singing and dancing is the dumbest thing possible. Like what even, what even is that? I don't know. That's my. I freaking don't know. I. Uh, it's it's just mind boggling to me. And look, I'm still really lucky and in the position where I've got a couple of interstate gigs going on, um, where I've still got some work. But you know, yeah, aren't you coming to Victoria? I am. I am. Um, that I'm is really so exciting. yeah, it is exciting for me, but I'm just like far out for all my other mates who are playing club gigs and bar gigs in New South Wales and have now lost like big amounts of income. I'm like far out, man. It's just, it's just, yeah, it's sad to see. And it's been for so long as well, like different if we were a couple months into to miss Rona, you know, running rampant through our streets, but like, it's been a couple of years now. Like we're just exhausted. Like literally I had a chat with one of my friends at the pub the other day and he's like, you know what? I'm going to give up music and just become a tomato farmer. Like babes, we are desperate. (laughs) Literally like that's what it's turning out to be. Everyone's going into the nurseries now and going, just give me a job honestly give me anything (laughs) it's really devastating because it's like we have no idea all the creatives that have like given up their dreams in these last two years to just be able to feed themselves we don't know the creative like the creativity that we're missing out on as a result of this lack of support and if you know there were policies and funding in place to actually support people through this time then like imagine what our music scene could be like like for example i don't know if you heard but in Aotearoa um just in the Ardern implemented this program during the first lockdown in New Zealand where they um were basically paying creatives to visit high schools and teach classes like to do with their expertise so like painters or something or oh jobs my some painting, and djs would teach dj classes and like which obviously for the music industry was massive like you know singers and that's massive for classes. young people as well like i have always said that because i come from a youth work background and mm. i've always said that one of the things people miss out on Like the key things is giving young people skills and tools that aren't just like, you know, those those basic, basic needs. It's giving people the skills to be able to do art and DJing Mm -hmm. and like letting them know that there's other things out there besides, you know, as a teenager, what's going on in that situation right now and other ways to express themselves because young people don't really like to talk about how they're feeling. Yeah, a hundred percent, Win-win for everyone. And like, sometimes they think they're getting it right, but like we end up learning like woodwork or something really random. <laughs> and I'm like, babe, I prefer to learn how to press buttons. If I was DJing <laughs> at 16, no, you, I'd be playing Coachella next week. You know literally here. I mean, like, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's also no coincidence that uh, New Zealand are getting it right. When you find out, I don't know if you know this, but fun fact, Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern was a DJ. Ah! <gasps> yep what and I don't mean like oh haha dabbled like there are literally photos of her in New Zealand playing laneway festival with her hands in the air like she is so cool and it's like wow of course if you have something that is wild it makes sense though like she knows what it's like you know to have the hustle and to lose a a bar gig on a Thursday night when you needed that money so yeah it's so fun I have never seen that I have actually never seen that about her it's so sick. I'm adding that to the list um, of things to send you after this. But yeah, please you, do. I will, yeah. That will be the highlight of my day. <laughs> oh, my God. It is the sickest. Like, just photos of her putting her hands up in the air, waving it like she does don't care. Like, she's <laughs> so cool. <laughs> and, I mean, speaking of pressing buttons, I probably should have started the start of Mob Talk, like, <laughs> about this. But can you please just tell me a bit about yourself? Like, I know a bit about you. But for the people that mm-hmm. are listening, who is Lativa T? Like, what are you up to? How did you start this big music journey? I actually know oh, a little okay. I've seen a couple of videos of, you know, you being a youngster on was it Australian Idol? Uh, it was X Factor. X Factor. <laughs> but we'll start from the start. How did this whole how did you begin this, you know, musical creative journey? Yeah, great question. Who is Latifa T? Who is she? Um, if you find <laughs> out, let me know. No, um, <laughs> wow. Okay, where to begin? I mean, as a kid, I was always like super, super creative. And my dad growing up was a DJ and played vinyl around the house. So I've always oh grown my up. God. Okay. Yeah, I've always grown up around music and DJing. Like literally the day that I came home from hospital, like three days of being alive, the first thing my dad did was put on like two Shakur's like all eyes on me record at full volume and it was only after they stopped playing the record that they were like oh my god like this baby's got ears like was that too loud um (laughs) so like literally from the day that I was born music has always driven and directed my life and I feel really grateful to have had that clear sense of direction from super young and The way I think my love of music started was like I was a dancer. So for 17 years of my life, I was on stage dancing and like, you know, learning how to express myself to music. And then when I was around 14, 15, as you just kind of alluded to, I got like scouted super randomly. Couldn't sing at this stage, by the way, but I got scouted for X Factor and then that's a whirlwind story. That's, that's one for, you know, volume two of this uh, podcast episode. But um, So you got scouted. Yeah. So I oh was like doing some singing lessons at the time, but I was mainly a dancer at that age and like was in, in this like dance crew that was organized and put together by like the same people that put like justice crew and manage them together. So it was like this creative agency. I guess. And then, um, started doing singing lessons was super bad. And I'm saying that, honestly, I'm not a person that's fake humble. I'm saying I was so bad at singing, um, (laughs) but doing a few lessons here and there. And then the creative agency, I guess got hit up by X factor to put some groups together. And they were like, Oh yeah, she can dance. And like, we'll make her lip sync or something if she can't sing. And then all kind of went from there. And I, when I say that the time between me getting contacted and me being on a stage in front of, thousands of people was a week like you're joking i'm not joking and the video that you're probably referring to like on my instagram like i auditioned um in a group called straight up with three boys and we look like besties but we had only known each other for like five days and i'm not kidding no you literally look like you've known these i was that was one of my like i was literally (laughs) sitting there going she's known them for her whole life it seems like like it hey but no No, we had met each other five days before. Again, because we got recruited like all through Facebook at the time. Throwback to Facebook being a thing. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, like one of them, Liam was from Nam, Melbourne, another from Park. Like we literally all get got flown into Sydney and went through this like intensive like freaking Disney kids like rehearsal level kind of thing. And then five days later was on like you know a national TV program getting recorded, being like bestie besties, crazy. <laughs> did you find that hard like did you feel like you were almost acting in a part of your life at that stage like oh yeah a little bit on it. stage <laughs> like with these people who you didn't know but acting like you were best friends I mean I guess by that point like we were all getting along but um I was feeling like a bit of an actor in terms of singing like I was not a confident singer and I think even like today in my life I'm still a little bit shy about that and hopefully the artistry is something I'm going to work on a lot more this year but um yeah it was a bit of acting but I think the benefit was I'd grown up literally on stage dancing my whole life so I knew how to like perform and trick them all and I did I guess (laughs) but your singing was good like Oh, thank you. (laughs) You're referring to that as like, no, but when you're 15, I was like, when I was watching, I was like, damn, this girl can sing at 15. I think that's a a combination of confidence though. Like if I was doing those and like step touching, I think it would have been like, oh, she's sweet. I think it was just like the massive confidence thing of being on a stage. And I think that's another thing that's really carried through my life. Like music has always directed me, but like my favorite place to be is the stage. And um, not to get all astrology, I don't know if you believe in that, um, but for those listening at home that do, it's my Leo rising. I love, (laughs) love being on a stage, love performing and just like the energy. It sounds so bad in attention. Did you be a dancer? No. Oh my god! I actually used to feel like that all the time. Used to love being like, you know, if ever if, if I ever did cheerleading or drama or whatever mm. it was, and I'd love being on the stage. And it's kind of like a shameful thing to be like, I do love the attention, like the, oh, the yeah. energy that you get being on stage and like being in that, like looking at everyone around you. It's just like this euphoric feeling. It is. And it's like your place and time to just like, literally forget everything that was just going on two minutes before and just perform and like lose yourself in that moment. And that's to me why I think DJing or like made sense from the get go. Um, yeah, I've been DJing now for like three years and I'd say that like my DJing, sorry, I'm going to burp. You can cut this bit out. <laughs> no, I'm definitely leaving that in. I have yeah, to leave that in. No, <laughs> the real going down the toilet. Ah, um, yeah. So I, I started DJing in August of twenty eighteen, um, which I guess isn't too long ago. And I'd say, uh, and also I guess we've had COVID for the last two years, so I've really only been DJing for about a year and a half, two years. And it does feel a lot of the time like a bit of a whirlwind um in how quickly things have happened but i think when you remember that like i've been on stage my whole life like it really just does make sense and it's kind of come natural and also like with my dad being a dj like i've literally grown up around perfect beat matching my whole life and if i was a bad dj like my dad would never let me live it down you know <laughs> <laughs> so he was doing vinyl when you were growing up like he's do you know how to mix vinyl um, that's actually a goal of mine for the year. I want to play my first vinyl set out and about. Um, and I, I I guess a really another like cute full circle moment is a couple of years ago when I first started DJing, this is how I met Andy Garvey. Um, I was interested in mixing vinyl and she hosted a workshop, um, for people wanting to learn to mix at this like small record store on King street in Newtown, South King. And, um, that was like the first time that I was properly like learning how to mix on vinyl. And that's how I met Andy. So small world, but yeah, it's always something I wanted to do. And my dad is like a pro and he's so good at it, but yeah. Well, you've got the best teacher at home. You can just go there and go, Dad. Or do you just like do you kind of get in fights? Like you know when he's trying to tell you what to do. <laughs> Pardon me. oh um, <laughs> uh, just a bit, just a bit of a little cough. Um, it's not little Rona. Cough. It's not Rona. Um. No, he, we don't get into arguments. Like he's super chill, and like he's just like this placid, big Samoan man. Like if you've seen Moana, he's literally like Maui, but with like less of an ego. Just like super chill, sweetie. um We cried, by the way, when we went to see Moana. We cried. Like he's a softie. <laughs> um, is it nice uh, to see? Like, wait, is Mo? Where is Moana set? Is that in Hawaii? I think, it, I think it's actually loosely based off, like. American Samoa and like Samoan culture so I think because like a lot of the cultural things to me made a lot of sense and so I think it pulls from a lot of different island cultures but like in terms of the narrative and the story and like the kind of um not like the fantasy of it but like you know those stories that pass down from generation to generation about like Tahiti and like these monsters and different creatures like I think that does derive a lot from Samoan culture which is really interesting it's really funny like when you look at different cultures and how similar they actually are you know you've got like Mm. Samoan and then you've got Aboriginal from Australia and like yeah the actual dream time stories and how everything is connected is so it's so similar yeah. Oh, it's really beautiful having those different, um, parts of my culture, but no, Oh, that's what I was saying. Sorry. I got um, caught up in Moana. Go watch it, guys. <laughs> um, sponsored by Disney. No. Um, I love that movie so, so much, but, um, he is too good at DJing and he can't explain how to do the things he does. Like the issue is because he's been doing it since he was literally 13 and he's now 50. So that's what, like 37 years. He can't break it down to a level of a beginner. Cause he's like, oi just just like nah scratch like just do it like wicker 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 and I'm like what like you should know how to do this why don't you know like it's so easy yeah yeah so I've always like really wanted to learn but it's really hard to like actually pick up skills and he's like just nah just do it like it's not even that hard I'm like dad shush, like shush, shush, Shush. respectfully, (laughs) respectfully, shush, shush. Go back to your scratching, dad, but yeah. (laughs) So did you start at the same time as doing um, DJing? Did you start radio or was that beforehand? Yeah, actually, very similar time. So I started radio a little bit before. Um, I guess I should backtrack a bit and explain what happened between X Factor and me going to university. To yes, get we get sidetracked. Yeah, um, we'll go back. No, to that. it's okay. I'm I'm really good at like backtracking and like getting back on track. So don't don't worry. Um <laughs> but basically, um, so I was on X Factor in this group. We auditioned and we got through to the top twenty four, but missed out just before like the live show element, which is like where all the main acts go. And so I was pretty devastated. I was. Feeling 15 at the time and thought like, oh, wow, like my life's been leading up to being on a Channel 7 program, baby. It hadn't been, but you know, it was <laughs> the most exciting thing that had happened in my life. And I was Devo and my mom was there because we had parental chaperones because like, you know, child welfare and stuff. She was there and hugging me and I was like, I don't want to go back to math's class. And she was like, don't worry, we'll just get Red Food to sign you. And like, obviously I'm bawling and I didn't really think anything seriously of it. But like my mom has this really interesting ability. Like I'm not going to say she's like psychic or intuitive, but like there are like so many funny moments in my life where she'll say something and then like it'll happen in like its own way. And you're like, how did you, how did you even know? You know? So Redfu was like one of the judges on X Factor at that time. So he had like been seeing me perform and stuff. And about a month later, his manager reached out to me on Facebook. And i was like again this is facebook anyone can be like haha i'm red foos manager and i had my auntie call and like pretend to be my agent or whatever just to suss if it was legit and i get a text in Rat's class being like hey latifah this guy is actually red foos manager and i'm like what wait so the- yeah Sorry, I, I forget that. Yeah, people um are often surprised when I say this story. So yeah, feel free to <laughs> interrupt with questions. Wait, so, cause I'm just like oh, yeah, it's whatever. So wait, red food like you no, no, you have to keep going and then I'll ask questions. I'll, I'll, I'll explain a bit more about the Red Food thing. So he was one of the hosts, um, one of the judges on the show. So there was like, oh, uh, this is so 2013 already. Back in the he day worked. when like sexy and I know it was the biggest thing out. Literally. And like Ronan Keating was a judge and Ali played like Danny Minogue. Like, you know, the era of reality TV I'm talking <laughs> about. You know, you can picture yes, it. Yes, Absolutely. Um, Yeah. And Redfoo's manager was obviously like there from the States with him. And on the day of my audition, he was literally asleep in his dressing room. This sounds fake, but like he tells his story and he's like, no, I swear. I swear he was sleeping in his dressing room and he allegedly woke up to the sound of my voice and was like, I have to sign her. Um, yeah, super. no word of a lie. That is, that is crazy. I know my, my voice was so so like you're just that high-pitched. <laughs> high-pitched. she was like what the hell is that oh she's voice actually is right. <laughs> again? <laughs> yeah and so then a month after the show I got contacted by him and he was like I would love to work with you and like help develop you as an artist and fly you out to LA get you in the studio and all of this stuff and so for the, ne- for the next year like I was 15 so this was like between the ages of 15 and 17 I was flying back and forth um, between Sydney and LA in my school holidays to like record an album. It was wild. (laughs) Wait, so you were 14 and 15 and you were flying to LA and back to record an album. Yeah. In my school holidays. I literally sound like a liar. Um, but this happened and I honestly sometimes forget that this part of my life happened because so many other things have happened and I've, I feel very grateful and blessed to have lived a very full and like pretty fun life, but yeah, like 15, 15. 16 my mom and I would fly out to LA and I'd just be like recording with like producers I have a song out with Red Fu from when I was like 16 What? Like, yeah it was pretty whirlwind um it's called Spotlight if anyone wants to look it up oh my god YouTube. I have to after this I'm gonna do that <laughs> <laughs> is it called Spotlight uh, I didn't even see that <laughs> Oh uh, yeah, it was, it was a weird one because the way it was just like distributed was only in Japan. Like we went through, um, like a publishing company called Manhattan records and like the song got like number two in Japan. And so, so it was weird. I was literally like big in Japan, um, at age 16 for like a hot minute. That was funny. <laughs> big um, in Japan at age 16, yeah. not, not Australia, just Japan. <laughs> yeah just japan no one even here cared about it and i was like guys look here's a video of me singing my song in a japanese nightclub and they're like yeah yeah okay cool whatever like <laughs> did you like did he did you hang out with him a lot like to record or was it mainly just he'd record his you'd record yours a little bit of both. Like um, that song we recorded separately, like our own parts and stuff. But I did manage to spend time at his house, which, by the way, is like exactly how you'd imagine it. I'm um, like, fluoro Oh my God. I need lines. details. Um, so the DJ Dex from memory was like uh, this big fish tank with like rainbow lights on it and that's what the DJ decks were like resting on. I've got a video of it somewhere but it was just like super wild like Hollywood kind of house and the night I was there was like for a party and obviously I was being chaperoned by my very responsible manager and I was a goody two-shoes, so nothing crazy happened, but just to see it all happening, like it's literally shot, shot shots, um, all around. But the funny thing is he, Redfield is actually super chill in person. Like What? Yeah, I think because he's like on stage persona is like super intense. When he's like working, recording, and stuff, he's really chill. Another fun fact he used to be a stockbroker before he was a musician. So he's like a massive nerd and like that is wild. He used to be a stockbroker. Yeah. I think that's the funny thing that you find about me is I know a lot of people who are either in conventional jobs that had creative pasts or who are creatives that had really conventional paths, because I think I really relate to that duality of like being one foot in music and another foot in like academia and law. So I, yeah, I, I try to find that in a lot of people. Like, for example, there's like this photographer called Margaret Zhang, who's got like almost a million followers on Instagram, photographs of Vogue, but also has a law degree from Sydney Law School. So I just, I try to find that. Like, um, hello, quality. you're literally studying a law degree now. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but I feel like that, Just that I, you are just doing so much. I don't um, even know how you have time to breathe. Uh, Oh, I I try to find the time, but I think that's why I really look for, yeah, I mean, it comes down to representation in all forms. And for me, knowing that there are other people that you know, can study these degrees and also be creative and like, do it all is really inspiring to me. And I try to, to find that in as many people as possible. Like you'd be surprised. I think I know about like three to four different DJs who also have law degrees. And I'm like, what is going on? Like, I love that we studied this serious, serious degree. And then was like, mm, nah, I want to press buttons instead. <laughs> Oh my God, I put myself on mute. You're all good. You're oh, all sorry good. about that. <laughs> so then you, like, so you've done Red Fruit and what was after that? Yeah. Um. Okay, good question. So um, I released my album in Japan. That was also the same day I did my final year 12 exam. So like s- still all through this, like my mom and my manager were like super adamant that I would stay in school and get my degree, Um, not degree, like my um diploma and stuff like that. So I still did that. And then the album came out the same day. Pardon me. Oh my God. The amount of times I'm burping. You're really getting real relative tea here. Hey, um, we are. <laughs> I love it. We've premium got the tea content. Yeah. <laughs> put it behind the paywall, please. No. Um, <laughs> so after that, um, for like personal reasons. I didn't fall out with my manager, but basically like things happen in my manager's life to do with his family and stuff where his priorities really quickly changed and he really needed to be there for his family, which I completely respect. And we are on great terms and he still keeps up with me, which is really nice. But because this beginning part of my music career had been so led by him, I felt a little bit lost and I was doing all of this in LA and had all these connections in LA with these cool producers, but like I was living in Sydney and I wasn't really tapped in with the local scene. And also I think we forget how much like, you know, the so-called Australian music scene has grown in the last few Mm -hmm. years. Like at the time, like Sony was still King and like all the X Factor contestants were still the ones on the charts. And it was just like a bit, like, I don't even see myself making music here. Like there was no, no kind of space for it. So I was a little bit confused and mom was like you should just like go to uni. It doesn't hurt to have a degree as like a solid backup plan. Um very fortunately got into Sydney Law School on like a scholarship and stuff. So I was like, you know what, like I'm not paying for this degree, it doesn't hurt and if I've got the opportunity to learn um then I'm going to do it. So I started my law degree. Um, and by the end of first year I was super bored with it. Like I went in thinking, Oh, like maybe I'll be a politician one day, or maybe I'll work at the UN and was like trying to focus on the more nerdy side of me. But by the end of first year, realized I was really unfulfilled because you know, like I've said to you, like creativity and music had just really directed my life up into that point. And I was Absolutely. like, oh, Absolutely. You basically yeah. spent your whole life being a creative and then you've just gone to the opposite end of the scale to be a lawyer. Exactly. And like, I should also say, I have always been a nerd my whole life too. Like was queen debater in school, went to nationals for like United nations debating, like I was a big nerd. Um, so that part of me was like still there, but like, for me, I've always found I'm happiest when I'm managing to balance or if I can't balance then prioritizing my creativity. So I felt really lost. I was like, I don't want to do this law thing. Also you realize that like political institutions are not it. And like the way party, politics and all that work I was like wow like it really ripped the rose-tinted glasses off my face because I love like you know speaking my mind and working on and you just can't do that with politics as well like it's a whole different ball game no, like when the system's broken, it's like, what can you do within that system? So I was really disheartened by the end of first year and was like, well, right. I need to fix this because this is not it. And my mom wouldn't let me drop out at that point. And I was like, please. And she said no. And I said, fine. Um, so I was looking for something creative to do. And a friend of mine at the time was like, Hey, our uni has a radio station. Why don't we start a show? So I started doing a weekly radio show that absolutely no one listened to aside from my grandma. Shout out Rhonda. Um, oh my god, Rhonda. That's <laughs> a G. She's listened to every radio show I've ever done. Um, God bless my grandmother. But um started She's doing like the number thing. one top viewer. hundred percent, hundred percent. Biggest fan, only has an Instagram account to follow me. Like we stand Rhonda. She's my queen. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah, so just like started this weekly thing and I was like, wow, it's just cool. Putting music together and talking about it. Cause like, as you can already gauge by this podcast episode, I just love talking. And it's combining like the two things I love music and me two and you tooth. Me yeah. and you tooth. It's like I am the exact same. <laughs> it's so fun. And I'm like, and getting to talk about music, like that's a new kind of passion level unlocked. Mm-hmm. I'm like, damn, this is cool. And like to do it, even when no one was listening, but just to chat with my friend about music each week was really great. And then Again, I was at the library at uni. Um, so that was, so that would have been around like April 2018. And I was like, this is cool. Like I get to put together 10 songs a week and talk about them, fun. And then um, by August 2018, sorry. Backtracking a bit June 2018. I was sitting in the library, supposed to be studying, but over it, and was scrolling on Facebook and came across an ad for your shot. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's basically a DJ competition. They haven't run for the last few years, but like it's oh my a gosh, con- yes, I actually have seen that. You've heard it, it's great. I, like train people up and then they you yeah. have to perform and then yeah, okay, yeah, I have heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. So I was scrolling about it and I heard and it's like, what is this competition? They pick like a hundred people from New South Wales, they train them for free. I think you have to pay like an admin fee of a hundred bucks I was like honestly like that's pretty cheap for like six weeks of lessons and all of this and connection oh, absolutely and, um, networking and stuff pardon me oh my god another burp paywall babes <laughs> it's just a part of you it's just a part of you now it is I'm a burper I can't hide it um but yeah I was scrolling on Facebook like oh this law degree is boring um and came across your shot and was like why not I'm just going to sign up and so I did and I guess you could say the rest is history like I just I went along I did my little audition interview got into the cohort did my little lessons my dad very kindly like helped and taught me to scratch a little bit um for the performance and yeah the rest is history like from there within a month I did my first like club DJ set at Ivy which is like a pretty big club here um in Eura and like yeah that really launched my career as a DJ and it yeah from that just like really catapulted it in a way that I just didn't think it would do you ever find it hard to put music together in terms of like when you're doing radio or a DJ set like you ever struggling for trying to find new music or do you feel like that just comes naturally to you or you have the resources I think the struggle is the opposite. It's like trying to cull the music, right? Or like curate it perfectly. Like I have so much music in my library on Apple Music and SoundCloud and wherever I listen. So I'm always, of course, like looking and searching for new music because I don't want to just be complacent and there's so much still to discover, which is so exciting for me. But like I think that's the hard part is like far out. Like, what's the perfect song to start my show on? Or like, what's the perfect song for this playlist that then goes after this song that then goes after this song to take you through that emotion? So I guess for me, the challenge is more curation rather than sourcing. But yeah, it's hard to keep across everything. (laughs) And when you're like curating a show on Triple J or, you know, where you used to work, do you feel like you're constantly trying to take people through a story or it's just more of a random selection? Um, I mean it depends I think the beautiful thing about Mix Up my show on Triple J is that like the storytelling is left to the artists and the DJs that I invite on and it's just like their space to creatively express themselves and I did a DJ set for Mix Up in 2019 as a guest on Andy's show and for me it was like one of the first times as a DJ that I didn't have to perform to a music brief or play certain songs to like please the crowd I could just do my thing and I remember getting that email from Andy I was like hey is there any sort of music that i should play or do you want like clean songs or whatever and she was like no do your thing and i was like whoa i've never felt that power within my djing before my artistry in that sense all creative rights are on you yeah exactly like i can i can take the listeners on whatever journey and it was the first time that i didn't play just straight clean hip-hop and r&b like I was experimenting and playing a bit of violin, a bit of a fun remix and a bit of more selection. And that I think was me slowly starting to slip more into like dance music and garage and like all these sounds that I never had permission to play in the very commercial club settings that I'd been booked previously. Cause you would have just played a lot of like R and B and straight. Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Like that more commercial DJ scene in terms of like, just your everyday clubs and stuff. Whereas like when yeah. you go into different mix ups, you're wanting to add like a bit of UKG and, you know, 100%. like all of that kind of stuff. Talia gets it. Talia gets Talia it. Does Talia does get it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Talia I mean, money. It was really cool to start out more on the commercial club route because it meant my name got up there and I was playing on some pretty big stages with some artists that I really did admire. Um, but yeah, I guess um, it's kind Hello, of- DJ, like ASAP Ferg. How, how did that happen? Oh, I'm just so confused. Was- that was incredibly cool and super random. Um, so my friend who I believe worked at Sony at the time, um, was putting together this very, very last minute party in a place in Surrey Hills called Butter, which is like a fried chicken place in Sydney. It's kind of it's like its own institution. They've got a couple of locations, but the one in Surrey Hills is the one where like all the cool parties and stuff used to happen, especially around like, you know, 2019, 2020. Like Tiger came through one night and then this night, ASAP Ferg, like we are putting them on for, you know, a night of fried chicken and champagne and like just vibes So random. Stuff. So random. And again, all. Oh, so many random parts of my career have happened through Facebook, but my, my friend Sam messaged me on Facebook and was like, Hey, what are you doing tonight? It was a Thursday and I think I was probably like studying or something. And I was like, Oh, like, I think I had exams at the time. Yeah. I had exams. And so I was studying and I was like, Oh, I'm free. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to do anything to get out of these things. Literally, literally. Um, I was like, Oh yeah, I'm free. I'm not doing anything. What's up?" And, um, Sam was like, Hey, so we're hosting ASAP burger butter. Do you want to come play? So me, me and my friend Naomi, who's now based in NAM and goes by the name Crybaby, we basically went back to back um for like a couple hours and ASAP Berg rolled through. And for me, it was really special. I don't know if you've seen the video of me and ASAP Folk, like dancing and vibing to this stupid remix I made um, of like Take On Me by Aha and Plain Jane. Yes, I have seen it. Yep. Oh, uh, it's so stupid. But like the same day that I signed up for your shot and was like, hell yeah, I'm going to be a DJ. I was in the law library, annoying everyone with my loud headphones and um, making that remix is a joke. So like my whole DJ career started out with me playing this song everywhere, like this stupid remix of, Plain Jane. And then all of a sudden, like a year or two later, I'm, you know, hanging out with ASAP Ferg, seeing the lyrics, facing him to Plain Jane. Like, what is my life? You know, It's because you manifested it. Like no, no joke, no word of a oh. lie. You've manifested that in your head and it happened. Honestly, honestly, like I, I think I'm very blessed to be a very powerful manifester. And like I have people with the most amazing energy and intentions around me all the time. You seem like you have really great energy though. Like your energy oh. is always vibrant and loud. And I feel like you experience that even through looking at your Instagram and, you know, you like your brand page and stuff like that. How do you like, is that just always been a part of you or do you feel like that's something you have to constantly work out? A bit of both. I think like for me, it came naturally, and like I've always been like, if you have a look through my Instagram, it's very like purple, and like the colours and the branding is very consistent. And when I was first doing that, it was literally just because I thought it looked really pretty, and I was super strict. Like you'll notice, there's no hint of like yellow or green or literally, orange. it's like this like mystical like purpley pinky vibe. Not pinky, but yeah, it's like midnight. You just think of like yeah, a little bit pinky. Yeah, um. I, I was like really, really, weirdly strict about it. I think you know where it came from, like Tumblr era. Like I took Tumblr so seriously. Um, and Back I in that, the days of MySpace. <laughs> yeah, yeah, fully. And I used to have like a full on pink dedicated Tumblr. I wouldn't post anything unless it went with my color theme. And I think that like weird strictness, like no one has ever asked for, has just continued onto my Instagram, to be honest. So it just looked pretty. But then I realized that people started knowing me for like my branding. Which is really, Literally, it, it really shows when you look at your page, like you almost get a visual, like a sense of who you are, like through colors yeah which is like really cool and i didn't notice it until my agent signed me and he's got some like really amazing femme talent on his roster so you know purely out of curiosity i was like what kind of differentiates me from the other djs on your roster and he said to me your branding like you have this really strong digital sense of who you are and your ability to communicate that to other people even just through instagram is like something that he really found powerful. And I was like, damn, okay, I'll just keep filtering purple then. (laughs) Yeah, literally, it's like you use your authentic self and that's how you sell yourself. Yeah, and like, I know that social media is weird, but I think so many beautiful things have come from it. Like, like we were just saying before we started recording this pod, like just the ability to connect with people, especially during such a jarring and fragmented time in the creative scene is just like really special. And I don't know, yeah, I think it's just like important not to take it too seriously. And even though I take my purple very seriously, like (laughs) it's all a bit of fun and it just looks pretty. And I'm like, yay, my my brain's happy. (laughs) So what tips can you give? to people listening about I guess the ways that you work on your confidence I know you seem very confident we took talk, we talked about that before but like you know in terms of going to a show and I guess holding that space and holding that energy that you have I mean that carries on within your DJing you know and you give that energy to the crowd like how do you what are some ways that you keep your confidence up? That's a great question. Um, I think for people who are just starting out performing, it—I don't know. This is a double-edged sword because, like, I I was about to say, "Oh, get your friends and family to come through and support," but like, the most nervous I am is when my friends and family are in the crowd because I actually care (laughs) about what they think, and I'm like, "Oh, it's a bunch of strangers. Like, I don't care (laughs) Um, if it's like people I don't know." So I'm going to scrap that immediately. (laughs) Um, I think in terms of confidence I mean I think you're far more likely to find confidence in doing something that you really love and in being able to let go of this idea of how people are perceiving you and I know that when I'm Djing like literally there could be hundreds of thousands of people watching me but at the end of the day I know that what I do is what I love more than anything so like if someone's gonna snicker at me or laugh or be like what was that transition like thanks house bro no one asked but if someone's gonna do that like I I don't care because I'm like I'm literally getting paid to press buttons and listen to music and dance. And I think that's what makes me really confident is putting myself in a really happy place. So yeah, that's, that's honestly my tip to people. Like you'll find confidence doing what you love and being really great at what you do and backing yourself wholeheartedly. So just find that thing that really I don't know that makes you excited and gives you excited butterflies and that fire and that passion in your belly and just go for it and who cares what people think like i I say this as if i don't care obviously i do but like i mean you um, have your good days and your bad days and i think that backing i think it comes with age and maturity and finding out what you really like and then once you back yourself you kind of go why don't you Give a fuck what you think. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, this is me and this is what I'm going to do because I love it. And those like people in the crowd that are saying stupid things, like, you don't, you don't know how, to, you're literally paying to see me. Like, yeah, 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 literally. It's like so funny. I just laugh at them. I'll- <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. That's, that's why I guess one tip for confidence. Like I think also because DJing is ex- more accessible than ever before, which I'm all about. Like if someone ever reaches out to me and asks for DJ tips or wants a hint or two or wants to like ask me a couple questions, like I'm always willing to give that uh, like response. Cause I know how much it meant to me when I was coming up and people were there and willing to offer that knowledge. But at the same time, I think you just got to think about why you want to DJ. Do you know what I mean? Like if you really love DJing cause you love music and you love like being in a party space and like being with people that are just having the most fun, then you're going to be a lot more confident doing that rather than if you're doing it for other reasons. And I'm not saying that people are doing it for the wrong reasons. I just think that like, if you're doing it because you really love it, it's going to be um, a lot easier for you to feel confident in that space. Cause you like, you know why you're doing it and it comes from a really sincere and passionate place oh absolutely yeah. so what are your top five songs at the moment I saw you posted about TK is it TK no FKA Twigs oh yeah album. her song with Georgia Smith oh my god I yes. absolutely love it like that's so good that album takes you on a ride Oh, it does. It does. Okay. Um, I'm literally pulling out my playlist right now. Um, my number one song for the year so far is, um, Happiness by Alexis Jordan. I've decided. Stop it. (laughs) I've decided. (laughs) It's like my favorite song of all time. Literally. Right. And so there's this like DJ in Follemore, um, in France who in his boiler room set, like made it. Love Follemore. Yeah, you, okay. Everybody loves Follemore, right? But in that boiler room set, he made a point of playing Abba's Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. And that became his like, signature song. And everywhere he played, you're like, Gimme. And I'm trying to, Happiness by Alexis Jordan, my equivalent of Follemore's Gimme, Gimme, Gimme. Um, and people are like, oh, I hope she plays it. So yeah, that's my number one song. I at saw Follemore, Pitch Music and Art for, um, two years ago. It was so Did good. You? It was like, yeah. yeah. That was the last club gig I went to with my best friend, Irene, just before lockdown. And I'm so glad I saw it. Like it was just pure joy on that dance floor. Truly. Pure happiness. Yeah. Oh, truly. Okay. Um, Songs that I'm loving right now. I love Tears in the Club by FKA Twigs and The Weeknd. That whole album, mm-hmm. like you just said, is just like so good. I also even like the first song on the album, Ride the Dragon, like that switch up is super cool. But I'm going to say Tears in the Club is my number two pick. Oh my God, I take this so seriously. Was, it's because I feel serious. Like it's such a, and I guess like, even if you look back to your playlist like three years ago and you look at the songs, it's really a representation of what you were going through. Yeah, and I want to listen back to this and be like, damn, I remember those songs and where I was in that time in my life. Um, The other, okay, third song is the Mora Master Remix of Polite by Erika Um Oh my God, that's really funny you say that. I literally like... Two weeks ago, two or three weeks ago, I found that song in general, and then I found the Muramasa remix now. So yes. It's so good. I love that song so, so much. Um, The fourth song is Woman by Harry Styles. Um, My best friend ever, Georgia Wild. shout out to her if she's listening. Um, she has been a Harry Styles stan from day dot. Like she dragged me along to the first ever One Direction concert in like Eora like in 2011. And I was like, okay, go off bestie. And she's been trying to get me onto him for ages. And only now have I come around and i just keep listening to that song called woman <laughs> i haven't listened to it i have to give it a go uh, it's pretty fun i'm like any song called woman um tends to be a favorite of mine mm-hmm. so i love that and um i'm gonna say concrete by orion sun is number five have you Ooh, heard of Ori to... Sun before? No, I haven't. She's awesome. Like, she's super, super cool. Like, she's got some other really cool songs, like Nikit Mipa or something like that, which is, like, Don't Leave Me. Um, You'll have she's... to send a, add it added to the list of things. Okay, <laughs> I'm going to type a list of these things and I will send them all to you. But, um, yeah, it's a song called Concrete and it's just, like, really soft. It's the kind of song you want to listen to on, like, a Sunday morning. Super sweet. Um, and also, she's, like, a queer artist. And it sounds so simple, but just, like, hearing, like, she, her pronouns, sung by a femme artist is just like so nice to hear just to like oh like I resonate with that or just to like hear that in music is really sweet who is your if, if you could say one someone you've looked up to or an idol in your life who would it be oh my mom 100% my mom oh, that's so beautiful that's really humbling Yeah, it's, it's totally my mom. Like my mom comes from really humble beginnings. My whole family really, like my mom and dad, you know, didn't come from much and just their work ethic. And the amount that they've dedicated and sacrificed to have, to allow like my brother and I to have a good life is just really amazing. It's something I don't really talk about. And I think because I've lived an incredibly privileged life, people often assume I come from privilege, but no, it's, I come from like the blood, sweat and tears of my parents. That's probably why you're so driven though. Like that's your work ethic comes all from that. Honestly. Yeah. Because just to see how much they've achieved in their life and how much they've, you know, Opened up the world for my brother and I is just so inspiring. And I really want to keep doing that for them and for my future kids and all of that. So, my mom, like, she's super cool. She was a makeup artist when I was growing up. Then she designed and was like the uh, what's I don't I don't know any building terminology. She doesn't have an architecture degree, but she just decided one day she was going to draw plans, and she did, and was the owner builder and directed the building of our house. Which she's like, oh my gosh, right? So cool. And now she's a primary school teacher. Like she's living, breathing testament that anything you can be is anything, hundred percent. So she is my inspiration through and through. Well, thank you so much, Latifah, for coming on today. It's been amazing and I'm sure we'll have a volume two of this podcast very soon. I'll be wanting to hear about more of your stories. (laughs) Oh, oh my goodness. Thank you so much, Talia, for having me on and having a good yarn. Really um, feel so privileged to be on here. So many amazing guests have... Stop it. That's so humbling. Oh, I I really mean it. And um, your questions are great. It's really nice that um, people read stuff that I write sometimes. (laughs) Oh, no, I love it. I always do a little bit of like a, a scout when I'm um, interviewing someone and try and find out the cool bits and pieces of what they've said. And, you know, it's really cool that you've been able to do that as well. Oh, I feel so lucky. But no, I, love how how you're, on. I love how your humour and your humbleness shows through your um, articles and stuff though. Like you really get a sense of who you are. It's like your Instagram, like, you know, with the colours and stuff, you, everyone gets a vibe of your energy. Oh, and that that's, really shows that's, through because uh, it's so authentic. That really means the world. Like I think people especially because social media is so prominent in how we express our creativity and stuff like people can really easily get ideas about who they think you are that suit them and just yeah for you to say that after like you know an hour an hour long good yarn about just like life and how I've gotten to the point I am like that means more than you know so thank you so much for saying oh big love I'm sure we could sit here and talk for days and I'm sure we we could could. (laughs) Also, I just want to interview you and like, you know, pick your brain and like hear about uh, all the amazing things. Thing, that you're <laughs> Ah, uh, absolutely. Well, well yeah, um, I'm actually starting radio soon. <gasps> yes, yes. If you have any questions, um, any, t- I'm like, oh, I don't know what advice I'd give you, but if you've got any questions, oh, like, absolutely, I'll be hitting you up. I feel like we have the same kind of music taste as well. So, oh yeah, hitting you up. Trust me. Ah, oh, absolutely, and I'll send you all those things that I mentioned, <laughs> literally. And it's like because I interviewed Paul, who's now become like one of my really good friends, and it's like mm-hmm. every other interview I become like, I'm like, harass him. I'm like, what are you doing? This is so cool. Love your new projects oh that's the coolest thing hey like even through radio like so many artists that i've played on the show end up becoming my good friends because they just appreciate it and you come from like such a similar place and i'm like it's all love you know it's so nice all love in this thing yeah hell yeah (laughs) awesome well thank you so much for coming on and everyone that's listening i hope you have enjoyed this episode thank you so much talia appreciate it no worries bye sis bye Thanks, everyone, for joining us on Mob Talk this week. If you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and don't forget to chuck us a follow on Instagram. And we'll see you all for another yarn soon.